take your Bible with me at this time and we'll open up to the book of Titus, chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We began last week uh, by noting that words are really cheap. That's not something that most of us need explained. Uh, We live in a world where what people say really just doesn't mean that much. Uh, This is why we would often say that actions speak louder than words, because we all know by experience that words are very, 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 very cheap. We also noted that God's people, the church, are saying something. We have some words that we are saying. We are saying something to the world around us. What are we saying? Well, it's really this book when it comes down to it. We're saying, yeah, like the words of this book, this is how you should live. Uh, We preach this book from cover to cover. We talk about the whole counsel of God, and this is where it's at, the words of this book, and we proclaim it. And we also proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And our message is that, that, that Jesus can give you new life. And so we proclaim that, and we say that this message is everything, and that it will radically change your life. And I think the, the big question is, those words of ours, are they cheap? That's what we say with our mouths, but do our actions back it up? Actions speak louder than words. And by the way, this becomes a massive problem when the world sees people who, who claim to be Christians, and they claim to know Jesus as their Savior, who behave contrary to their beliefs. Well, Titus chapter 2 explains that the gospel, when, it, when a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ and they embrace the gospel, the gospel then begins to radically transform the everyday life of, of God's people. Little bit by little bit by little bit, the gospel transforms us so that ultimately our behavior begins to really match and line up with our beliefs. And God wants your friends and neighbors to see that, not the opposite. Uh, Look with me as we begin at Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes to Titus and he says, But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound or healthy doctrine. So Titus, he's on the island of Crete and he's supposed to teach the Cretan people how to live in a way that befits the gospel and the Bible's teaching. He's supposed to teach them how to live in such a way that their behavior does match their beliefs. And this, high, this passage highlights six people that the gospel should change. We began last week with older and younger men. The gospel should change a man's life. And today we turn, the text turns our attention to both older and younger women. Women must apply God's truth to everyday life. So look with me if you would at Titus chapter 2. Uh, we'll focus our attention here today on verses 3 to 5. Uh, Beginning in verse 3, we read, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Six people that the gospel should change. Uh, Last week we started with older men, then younger women, or sorry, younger men, and then today, uh, number three, older women must apply God's truth to everyday life. Verse three begins, older women likewise, much like the older men, are to be something. And then we're given four marks of a godly older woman. But first of all, who would fall into that category? Uh, well, as we'll see shortly, the younger women are described as being in the, in the, in the kid years. They appear to still have uh, perhaps young children, perhaps children at home. 
So presumably then the older women are those who have moved past those what we might call kid years. Whether they ever had kids or not, that that would kind of be uh, the age range. If you're an older woman, what type of woman does God want you to be? Well, based on this text, we want to note four marks of a godly older woman. First, she's reverent in her behavior. Verse 3 begins, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. What does that mean? I, I find it's a little bit of a unique phrase. It denotes behavior that's worthy of respect. If you were here with us last week, we talked about the older men and that, that God didn't want them to just think, well, I'm older and so people should just respect me. But to actually have this attitude, well, I, I'm going to live in such a way uh, that, that basically my lifestyle uh, brings that respect. So just like an older man, you are to behave in a way that evokes special respect from others. And what type of behavior would that be? Well, that would be holy behavior. Holiness is implied in that word reverent. The original word refers to what would be appropriate actually of a priest or a priestess serving in a temple. In other words, you should behave in a way that is holy and and somehow set apart to God. And demonstrates that that you are fighting to be separate from your sin, and you are fighting to live in such a way that demonstrates that I, I I'm living, trying to battle my sin and be separate from that, and be separated unto God. I'm here for His use and His purposes, and to serve Him however He wants. You're living for His use and His purposes. The second mark of a godly older woman is that she's not a slanderer. Uh, that's what comes next on the list in verse 3. It's actually the, uh, a, a Greek word that you might recognize. Uh, it's the Greek word diabolos. And if you're familiar with that word, it's, it's a word used specifically for the devil himself. And it means to slander or accuse. The Bible talks about Satan being a slanderer or an accuser of God's people. And what God is saying here is that you need to control your tongue so that you don't speak lies, uh, make false accusations, uh, spread things like malicious gossip, whether it's true or untrue. And if you do those things, you're actually doing the devil's work. This is what Satan does. God does not want you to be the devil with your words. And by the way, I mean, this is addressed specifically to older women, but this, anything with our words, I mean, this is a struggle for all of us. The third mark of a godly older woman, she's not in subjection to alcohol. According to verse 3, older women are not to be slaves to much wine. Uh, we may wonder why exactly is, is that one of the items on the list here? Perhaps uh, in this specific context on the island of Crete, perhaps the older women, this was a major issue for them. I, I'm not sure that we know But perhaps it was, and the reality is it could be an issue for you. And like the older men that we saw last week, God does not want you to forfeit your sobriety, to lose your wits and and your uh, control by the Spirit of God, or become a slave to alcohol, or frankly, any other substance. Fourth mark of a godly older woman, and perhaps the biggest focus of this text for a godly older woman is that she's heavily invested in the next generation of women. Look at verses 3 and 4. Actually, uh, the end there of verse 3, speaking of the older women, it says, they are to teach what is good. 
And so train the young women to be several different things. In what ways does a godly older woman invest in the next generation? Well, I think that we could say that she gives the next generation an example to follow. Uh, God wants you to be a model or an example of, of what a godly older woman is to be, or, or what just a godly woman is to be. And as we just read, the older women are to teach and to train the younger women. Uh, Paul very well could have what we might think of formal teaching in view, where perhaps an older woman would stand up maybe in a setting like this and teach several other younger women. But it's probably much more likely that he's thinking primarily of informal teaching by both word and by example. And one of the primary ways that you teach the younger women is through your example. Again, going back to action, speaking louder than words, the way you live your life is so powerful. When you live an exemplary life before the next generation, that makes a huge impact. And all of us could probably sit here and talk about people who are older than us, who we admired and just respected the way that we lived, the way that they lived. And we learned from that. And we started to say, I want to live like that. You are forging a path for younger women to walk behind you. Have you ever, have you ever walked through the woods and uh, maybe dense bush or, or perhaps maybe even through the snow. I know that my kids and I, we like to sled on just a little hill that's a, a couple uh, hundred yards behind our house. And tip it, and it, it's kind of across a, a pasture. And so what happens every year, the snow comes and it drifts. And to get from our house back to this little dugout area where we, we like to sled, it's quite the walk. And often I'd have a couple kids, a kid in one arm, a kid in the other, and trying to pull a sled and my snow boots on. And every step you're taking, you're going all the way up to your knees in snow. Well, I mean, if you've ever done that, like, <laughs> that's hard work. I mean, I will admit, I am definitely out of shape. <laughs> but a few, like, 100 yards in, I'm like, i got to pause and catch my breath. <laughs> to make it 300 yards back there, like, that, that's a trip. But what if you imagine that setting and a whole army marched through that path before I ever got there? Maybe, maybe 100, 200 men or women, whatever, they just walked right through all that snow and just plowed it down. And, and the people in the front, yeah, it was a lot of hard work for them. But the, by the time a whole army had walked down that path, I hop on there, it's all trampled down. I don't sink in anything. It's easy going for me. And I think that's very much... Uh, what Paul has in mind here. It's much easier to walk a path that many people have trampled down before you. And what God wants the church to be like is uh, one generation trampling down a good path before the next one. And maybe for that first generation, that was harder. Maybe they didn't have people to help them. Maybe they didn't have a godly older generation to say, here's how you raise your kids. Here's how you deal with conflict. Here's how you do this. But a godly older generation with their Bible and whoever could help them forged a path so that a generation could come behind them and say, here's how you walk. And we've tried to help set that up for you and we're here to help you so that one generation could actually be greatly aided and their, their walk with God from the generation that's gone before them. So she gives the next generation an example to follow. And she also gives the next generation instruction and advice. The end of verse 3 says that older women are to teach what is good. And basically by so doing, train the young women. Uh, those phrases that I just read ex express both the content and the goal or intended result 
of an older woman's teaching and what we might even call her discipleship ministry, her investment into the, the lives of other people. What is the content of her teaching? Well, uh, you are to teach the younger women, this, the text says here, what is good? What is that? Well, it comes in the next verse. It's, it's the things that are then mentioned in verses 4 and 5 that we'll look at in just a moment. And what is the desired effect of her teaching? Verse 4 begins, and so by so doing, basically train the young women to be and do certain things. That word train in verse 4 means to encourage. It means to advise, to urge. And interestingly, in ancient literature, as this original Greek word was used, it was often used in the sense actually of bringing someone to his or her senses, or wising them up. Think about the implication of that for a moment. God is saying that a younger woman may at times need to be brought to her her senses and wised up a bit. And frankly, that would be true for all of us. We all have those times where we need someone to just bring us along, perhaps shoot very straight with us, And God intends for older women to be the ones who do that. Well, with what type of things? Again, the things listed in verses 4 and 5. Loving her husband and kids, self-control, purity, the matters of the home, etc. With that, I think we could also say that a godly older woman gives the next generation her time and her heart. How, How could that not be the case when you look at this text? What Paul describes here is going to take time and energy. And God wants you to have, I think we could just say, a huge, huge heart for the next generation. And be a spiritual mother to younger women. I like what one person wrote about this passage. Younger women with children were to keep their primary focus at home. We'll see that in just a moment. But the older women would do well to reach outside their homes and share what they had learned with those who would profit from it most. The gospel, as, as we look at a text like this, God wants the gospel itself to cross generational lines in our church and forge us together as a multi-generational family. And if we are not a multi-generational family, there's probably something wrong. I mean, here at Beaumont Baptist Church, sure, we may, we may have, in terms of our uh, general age demographic, we may be quite young. We may have a lot more of people who would fall into the younger men, uh, younger women category than the older. But even with maybe our numbers being like that, still there should be this bond across those lines. There should be this investment from one generation to the next, and there should be a desire for that from a younger generation. The gospel should cross generational lines in our church and forge us together as a multi-generational family. Older women should be heavily invested in the next generation. Some of you try to make financial investments, perhaps to save for retirement or other purposes. Uh, As I look at my own finances, I, I want to try to invest in such a way to generate and increase wealth in the years to come. I would say most people probably want to manage their their wealth in such a way that it increases over time. Older ladies, how can you better invest your time? one of your greatest, most precious commodities, how can you better invest that in younger women in hopes of an eternal gain? 
in, t- in hopes of, of something beyond this life reaching into the next. How can you do that? Again, the world is watching. And so older women must apply God's truth to everyday lives. And so I'd ask you older ladies, how are you doing with these things? And maybe if you could just think for a moment, are there some maybe some very specific action steps that you could take to invest in the next generation of women? And maybe is there anyone specific that you could invest in, a name and a face, perhaps just one, perhaps two, but someone you could invest in? And if you don't know, I would actually say, you know what, I, I'm pretty sure I could help you find someone. Just given, again, the age demographic that I've talked about here in our church, this, this is a need. It is a reality. And if that's your heart and that you say, oh, I want to do that, I just don't know where to start, I would love to chat because I think we can make some connections there. And I'd also encourage you to embrace actually a healthy degree of openness. Openness, I like to say this, I don't think this is original, original with me, but openness fosters openness in the Christian life. So if you sit down with another group of Christians and you're honest and you're transparent and you're real in a healthy, appropriate, biblical way, that fosters more of the same from other people. And I think, uh, especially for older women, as they would seek to invest in another generation, if you can be open and honest and transparent, it's probably going to foster more of the same from another generation and really forge some of those bonds across generational lines. There's a fourth group of people (coughs) uh, that the gospel should change, and that is younger women. Younger women, likewise, must apply God's truth to everyday life. Uh, now in verses 4 to 5, as we'll see, younger women become the focus. With not total, but I think we could say special attention being given to the married mom. I highlighted last week that there was no such thing as adolescence in the ancient world. Um, you were basically a girl, and then you became a woman. And that'd be true of, of, of the boys as well. You were a boy, and then you became a man. There wasn't this uh, kind of gap in between, as we'd have today, where well, you're a boy and then you're kind of this teenager and adolescence age and and then you become a man. It was just actually boy to man, girl to woman. Many of these young women in the ancient world actually would have married quite young as well, perhaps early in their teenage years. So it could be that verses four to five are actually referring to, to young ladies in the teenage years all the way up to women old enough to have teenagers still in the home. And if you are in that age range, these next verses are for you. And even if if you're not married and you don't have kids, much of what's said here is still very, very relevant. So what does God say to you? Well, verses four to five list eight marks of a godly young woman, almost all of which are to be taught and modeled by the older women. Before we look at these, though, I want you to note the word that God uses to describe these things. According to verse 3, if you look back at it, the older women are to teach something. They are to teach what is what? What's the word? Good. And I highlight that because there is an item or two on the list that we are about to look at that modern society might not call good. And in fact, as you look at it, you might even wrestle with it a little bit yourself and go, is that really good here in 2021? But you know what? God says that it is. 
In these verses, there are seven marks listed of a godly young woman and an eighth that's implied. And we want to start with the one that's implied. As we look at eight marks of a godly younger woman, first, she's teachable and she's hungry to grow. We saw that God wants the older women to teach the younger, the younger women. So where, by implication, what does that mean? It means that the younger woman should, should be sitting there saying, I need that and I want that. I'm going to seek that for my life. Is that something that you actually want and crave? Do you want to be taught? There could be older women ready to impart, ready to teach, ready to be trained, and younger women saying, yeah, no thanks. Are you hungry to grow? Uh, How about this? Are you willing actually to give an older woman a big enough window into your home, into your marriage, into your uh, family life, even if, if allowing her to see through that window actually exposes you and makes you feel vulnerable a little bit and maybe highlights some of your shortcomings and what you might view as deficiencies, are you willing to give older women a, a large enough window into your life so that they could actually know what's going on well enough to then advise and correct and help and be a spiritual mother to you? If need be, Are you willing to let an older woman bring you to your senses at the times that that might be needed? I mean, listen, that older woman was in your shoes once, not that long ago. And there's a very good chance that much of what she could help you with, she learned the hard way. Perhaps it took her 15 years to figure out how to iron out that particular wrinkle from her marriage. And if you'll let her into your life, she might be able to help you iron out yours in three. The need for help and instruction is not a bad thing or something to be ashamed of, nor does it necessarily mean that you've failed in some capacity. Often it's just quite the opposite. This is just how life works really in almost any realm. You might think of it this way. Um, Over the years, many of you, women and men, have become quite capable in the kitchen and cooking and baking and all of these things. I mean, you just have this host of different skills that you've learned that have been taught you and your own little tips and tricks and uh, all kinds of skills. Many of you young women, you have children. And when your five-year-old son or daughter jumps up on the stool next to you and they want to be involved in this process in the kitchen and you're teaching them how to bake or how to cook, do you criticize them or view them uh, in some way as deficient because they don't know what you know and they don't have the skills yet that you have? Of course not. I mean, we just think like, no, of, uh, no. Because it's going to take them time. Like you're going to have to teach them and show them all those tips and tricks and teach them how to measure and do this in this order. It'll be really, really helpful. Trust me. You wouldn't criticize them. They're just getting started. You learned what you know over the course of 20 to 30 years. And anytime you're in your early years of almost anything, there's just a lot that you don't know, whether it's your kids learning to do something in the kitchen, whether it's you starting a new job or a new career, someone that's been at it at 20 years, they just know so much more. And they probably picked it up over those 20 years. I think that All of us, young women, young men, frankly, anyone, assume that there are things you don't know. 
Assume that you are not as godly and mature as God wants you to be yet. Assume that and let other people teach you. And people who are like that, do you know what happens? They grow so quickly. They really do. They just grow and thrive. And it all really comes down, I think, to a level of humility and hunger to grow. The second mark of a godly younger woman, she exercises love towards her husband. According to verse 4, God wants you to love your husband if you have one. Uh, And let's just be honest, there are days and moments where he's a lot more (laughs) lovable than others. And he might even admit that. But love is a choice. And by the way, on on the flip side, there are many other passages where God tells husbands to love their wives. But you need to learn to love him with your words, with your actions, with your body, with your time, with your heart, and with your hands. And you need to learn to love him through the ups and downs of his spiritual life. And there will definitely be ups and downs. He is not God. And you need to learn to love him through the ups and downs of his work experience. And almost guaranteed, there will be ups and downs of that. And through the ups and downs of his endeavors and the ups and downs of his folly and wisdom and guarantee, that will probably very much be in flux. And many other things. And do you know who knows how to do that better than anyone else? It's not me. And it's not the young women you have playdates with. It's an older woman. She's been there, as we say, done that, got the t-shirt. Number three, third mark of a godly younger woman, she exercises love towards her children. Next on this list in verse four comes love for children. Why would that need to be said? That's one of the first things that I think about. Uh, I mean, few things rival a mother's love. We talk about that, right? In fact, it's sometimes said, you know, that's a face that only a mother could love. You could be super, super, super ugly. And guess what? Mom is going to love you no matter how ugly your face is. So why is this on the list? Because it's a struggle. Not every parenting moment looks like the picture that you posted on Facebook, right? I mean, it's like everybody's happy. The kids are happy. Mom's happy. Dad's happy. We live in a perfect home with a perfect family. No. (laughs) In fact, moms typically experience more of those challenging moments than anyone else because she's often with the kids more than anyone else. And God wants you to love your kids through the good moments and the bad moments alike. By the way, I think there's a gentle reminder given in the order these items are listed. Love for husband is listed first before love for kids. Even more important than your love, than than love for one's children is love for one's spouse. And it is super easy to get that out of line, isn't it? A fourth mark of a godly younger woman is that she's self-controlled. Verse 5 mentions that word self-control. While we noted last week this is basically the predominant struggle for young men. And it's the only thing that's even listed because it's pretty much where almost every struggle would fit under that heading. But it can be a struggle for younger ladies as well. God wants you to be controlled in your time management, your running of the home. Often as you're at home throughout the day and maybe your husband is at work, there's no one looking over your shoulder saying, hey, here's what you need to do next. Here's where you should spend your time next. It's just kind of you. Control over finances and spending and shopping and those things and your words. I mean, we could just put so many things under that heading. Fifth, she's pure. Uh, Next in verse 5 comes the word pure. God wants you to be morally pure, chaste, and faithful to your husband. Uh, Depending on your situation, you, you could be extremely busy or you may actually have a lot of time on your hands. 
And if you're in a situation where you have a lot of time on your hands, you could very quickly run to uh, various forms of entertainment, which is not necessarily bad that, that you would entertain yourself in, in some way, shape, or form. But God wants you to be pure in what you read, what you watch, and what you listen to, and filling your mind with things that are pure. Or you may find, actually, that a few years into your marriage, that it seems like your husband's just not paying that much attention to you. Perhaps he's not very attentive. Perhaps he doesn't romance you like you would like him to do. Perhaps he seems aloof to your needs and your desires and focused on a million and one different things other than you. And then all of a sudden, someone else comes along and they're paying attention to you. And they're taking notice of you. And God says, says, younger women, be pure. Be pure. And number six, sixth mark of a godly younger woman, she places special focus on her home and works hard there. Uh, Verse five continues with the phrase, working at home. Uh, That phrase speaks to two things. It, It speaks to both a location and it also speaks to an activity. The location, home, the activity, work, and both of those things are threatened. We speak first of the location, home. I think it's important for me to highlight here that that phrase, working at home, does not exclude you from working elsewhere. However, what it does do is it indicates where the focus of a married mom should be. And I think that the word focus is is really a a key word to properly interpreting what's going on here. God does leave room for how exactly that should be applied from family to family. But at the end of the day, the focus, she places special focus on her home and she works hard there. I like what one writer said here. He said, any woman who makes career status or financial advantage a higher priority in her life then the welfare of her marriage, children, or home transgresses scripture as well as the signals of a heart sensitive to God's spirit. Uh, again, does that mean you, you can't work outside the home? No, it's just God does want you to place special focus there. And what's the activity? It's work. You could be a really lazy younger woman or married mom. God wants you to manage your household responsibilities with diligence and work hard in the home. Uh, Such tasks like cooking, cleaning, and caring for the kids, those are hard work. Actually, really, really hard work. And often, in many ways, thankless. Uh, This phrase, working at home, let's be honest, it does not fit 2021 very well, does it? I mean, it just does not fit. And we might bristle at it. We might pull back against it. I might even stand up here and be hesitant to say very much about it. Our society definitely wouldn't like that phrase. But I would just ask you this. If God says that it's good, as we already saw, the old women are to teach what is good, namely the things that we're looking at. If God says that this is good, why would we ever question that? If I could just say a word to both young men and women, it's been said that the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. You can't put a price tag on a mother's influence. And there could be a a variety of reasons why a married mom might work outside the home, some of which could be very justifiable, very appropriate, or, or fitting to the occasion or the time or the circumstance. But there are times when really the only reason that that is done is for financial advantage. 
uh, in the sense of maybe we could be fine on one income, but two would be so much better, and we could have all this, and we could do all that. Do you really want to trade? Uh, I talk about you can't put a price tag on a mother's influence. Do you really want to trade that for a few nice vacations, a nice home, new cars? Listen, 18 years is going to go by in the blink of an eye. And for really young women, perhaps even the girls in this room, society might give you the impression or flat out even tell you that you are a nobody if you are not a career woman. I mean, you just sense that even when you fill out a document and it's what's your occupation or somebody asks you that. I've sometimes felt as a pastor when someone asks me, what do you do? Sometimes there's a hesitancy in my heart to say, oh, I'm a pastor because a lot of people would look at that and go, pfft. Religion, what a waste of time. And sometimes I feel a little bit of that. I think there's probably no one that maybe feels that more than than the mom who's at home. And someone says, well, what do you do? What's your occupation? And you're trying to figure out how to word it to make it sound dignified. I'm a homemaker. (laughs) Or whatever you might call it. And you feel like society would just look at you and go, don't you want to do more with your life? Society might give you the impression or flat out even tell you that you're a nobody if you are not a career woman. And I would just say, do not listen to them. That's the devil's lie. What did God say here? He said, this is good. Seventh mark of a godly younger woman is that she's kind. That's the next word there in verse five. Younger women, um, you have a lot on your plate. And with that comes a ton of pressure. Everyone needs you or needs something from you. I mean, really, they do. Your baby, your kids, your husband, your church. Everybody's asking for something from you all the time. You don't get much personal time. (laughs) You sneak into the washroom just for a moment, break, and then next thing you know, there's like these little fingers emerging under the door. (laughs) Mommy, what are you doing? You're like, (laughs) You don't really get sick days or breaks, even if you're not feeling well. It just keeps going. And the nagging demands of mundane and routine household duties, they just never stop. And if you take a break, it just all piles up. And under all of those pressures, you might become irritable and frustrated, unpleasant, unkind to your husband, kids, and those around you. Uh, And the pressure is real. It's legitimate. But even under all of that, God wants you to be kind. Number eight, the eighth mark of a godly younger woman is that she's submissive to her husband. Last on the list, God says submissive to their own husbands. Again, how well does that fit 2021? It just flat out doesn't. It's not politically correct. It's not culturally appropriate. People just want to vomit that up. And yet God says it. And it's part of God's good plan. And obviously God's plan for marriage is that that your husband be a certain type of man, a loving leader. But God wants you to humbly and graciously his leadership. Not because he's somehow superior to you. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Or not because he's even more capable than you. I mean, I can tell you in our marriage, I can tell you which one of us is smarter, and it's not me. 
God wants you to do these things because it's what God has designed. It's, it's what he's built into the creation order. The world is watching. Younger women must apply God's truth to everyday life. What, by the way, what's at stake at all of this? What if these sorts of things don't happen? Well, there's a lot on the line here, actually. The end of verse 5 says this. It says that all of this should happen so that the word of God may not be reviled. When God's people don't apply God's truth to everyday life, what happens to the word of God? Well, it gets discredited. It gets uh, drugged through the mud before the eyes of everyone around us, particularly those who don't know Jesus our unsaved friends and neighbors. And what happens is when we live in a way that our words uh, and our behavior don't match, or sorry, our belief and our behavior don't match, what we actually do is we hand the world around us a a box of ammo. We say, here you go. (laughs) Here's some ammo against my faith. Here's some ammunition against this wonderful message that I proclaim and want you to believe. The world is watching. Women must apply God's truth to everyday life, and God saved you to be a radically different woman. And when the gospel starts to impact you, when it starts to permeate you little bit by little bit by little bit, you start looking like the type of woman that God wants you to be, the woman that we see in these verses. And that's what's key, by the way, the gospel. You cannot do this by yourself. You cannot just be the woman that God wants you to be. You cannot be uh, the wife or the mother or the single woman that God wants you to be apart from God's word and the gospel permeating you. And that's what comes up in the the last major paragraph of this chapter that we'll look at in a couple weeks. The gospel is key and central to all of this. Would you bow at this time?